Did Shakespeare write all his plays himself? Did he write any of them? Does it matter? There's a debate about who wrote some or all of Shakespeare's plays, and every now and then someone uh, comes up and says that he didn't, someone else did. But I imagine that most of us don't really care. It doesn't make a difference to our daily lives. We either enjoy watching Shakespeare or we really don't. Now, is the information on TFL's website about what tubes are running each weekend true? Now, I think a lot of us do care about that. It makes quite a difference to our weekend plans, how well they go. But there's no real way of knowing for ourselves, is there? As most of us can't go and ask the director of engineering uh, to tell us in person. We have to take it on trust. But if someone called you up and told you that the tax authorities had made a mistake and you owed them a £1,000, well, then you would check. You would log on to your account and see what was going on. We care whether that sort of claim is true, and we will find out for ourselves. Now, the claim that Jesus is God and King falls into that last category. We should care whether it's true, and we should find out for ourselves. Because if it is true, it makes a big difference. If it's true, it means a man who lived and died and rose again 2,000 years ago is now the king of everything. A person with a resurrected body is now seated at the right hand of God, ruling in heaven over all of creation. He will come back one day to judge with truth and righteousness. It is quite a claim, isn't it? And so it's worth knowing whether it is true or not. And if it's true, it's worth building your life on it. Peter certainly thinks it is true. In fact, he builds up his whole speech to that point. Look at verse 36 with me. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Peter says we can be certain that Jesus is Lord and Messiah, or in simpler words, that he is God and King. And that is our big point for today. Be certain that Jesus is God and King. Let me remind you uh, what's going on. It's 50 days uh, after Jesus uh, had died on the cross and rose again, and then 10 days after he'd left his disciples and ascended to heaven. Jesus' followers had gathered in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit had come on them in tongues of fire and a rushing wind, And he had enabled them to speak languages that they did not know. That prompted the crowd to ask, what is going on? And in verse 14, Peter stands up to explain. As Chris Wright showed us over the last couple of Sundays, Peter goes back 
to the Old Testament to explain the scriptures as they had them, to show the crowd that a new promised age had dawned, a new covenant had been inaugurated. The Spirit had been poured out on all believers, ordinary people trusting in Jesus, because Jesus is truly King. Last week, uh, Chris helped us to see from verses 22 to 32 that Jesus really is the Messiah, God's anointed King, even though he died on a cross. The resurrection proves that. God's King wouldn't stay dead. Jesus didn't stay dead. Therefore, Jesus is God's King. Now, that's half of Peter's killer claim of verse 36, already established by looking at the Old Testament and the events of Jesus's life. Now, uh, Peter's argument is a bit like uh, children's stacking pots, uh, like these. Uh, these are the ones that my son is probably wondering right now, because he's in the bath, where they are. And Peter builds up uh, his argument, each piece needs to be steady before the next one goes on, uh, so that you can get all the way up to the top. Peter started with Joel chapter 2, and he said, the thing that you've just seen happen just now, that shows that God has poured out his spirit as he promised. And then he puts on Psalm 16, and he says, God can't stay dead, and Jesus didn't, just as God had promised. And so we've got the new age of, the, of God's king has dawned. But the last pot that he has put on, seems to be a bit wobbly. Chris pointed it out at the end of the sermon last week, if you remember that. He said, where is Jesus now? If he is really raised from the dead, as Peter has claimed in verse 32, then where is he? Well, the answer is in verse 33. So have a look at that. It says, exalted to the right hand of God, he, that's Jesus, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. Jesus is not kicking around Jerusalem because he is sitting next to God. That's a pretty exclusive location, isn't it? Perhaps you might like a spot on the Mall next Saturday, or a seat in the Abbey, or even a glimpse inside that tent thing uh, that the Archbishop of Canterbury is going to use when he's anointing King Charles. Now, you can't pay for that sort of access, can you? But exclusive doesn't even begin to capture the fact that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Now, it's all very well making that sort of claim that Jesus is at God's right hand in heaven. But is it one of those sort of outlandish claims that you can't establish by its very nature? It's impossible to check. Do we need to take it on trust, like we're going to have to take on trust what's going on inside that tent next week? Well, no, Peter says that's not true. You can tell that Jesus really is at the right hand of God because we see what he does from there. He pours out the Spirit on them. That's what's kicked off this whole speech, isn't it? The Spirit being poured out on them is evidence that Jesus is doing his job as he promised at God's right hand. 
So when there's a package outside your door when you come home, you can tell that the Amazon delivery man has been and he's done his job because you see the evidence, even though you haven't actually seen him. When the Spirit comes, we know that Jesus is doing his job working at the right hand of God. That is where he is. Once more, Peter backs it all up with a claim from the Old Testament, a quotation. This time it's from Psalm 110, one of the early church's favourite psalms to talk about Jesus. In fact, it was one of Jesus's favourite psalms to talk about himself. Look at verse 34. Here's the quote. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, we preached on Psalm 110 last summer. Uh, The logic goes something like this. This is the height of PowerPoint. So we've got uh, David on his throne, and he talks about this person who is my Lord. And then he hears another one who is the Lord, Yahweh. And the Old Old Testament, we would see capital letters there. And this one says to the my Lord figure, come, sit at my right hand. Now, Jesus told uh, the Jewish leaders that this my Lord character couldn't be David Because David is calling him Lord. He has to be greater than David. If you want to think a bit more about what it means for Jesus to be at the right hand of God the Father, then do listen again to that Psalm 110 sermon, or in fact to Ollie's sermon, uh, also from last summer on Acts chapter 2. Here, Peter takes a slightly different tack to Jesus. Look at the beginning of verse 34. Psalm 110 is not about David because David did not ascend into heaven. As Peter has just said in verse 29, you can go and visit his tomb. He probably stood there and pointed up to the mountainside. No, it's not about David. It's got to be about Jesus, the one that Peter has just said has ascended into heaven. The thing that is proven by the outpouring of the Spirit. Jesus is this my Lord figure. I think that's the main point of what Psalm 110 is doing here. It tells us where Jesus is now. Now there is slightly more to it. One more stacking pot to get us right up to the top, to round off the whole of Peter's speech, just so that we get the full force of verse 36. Uh, Chris talked about it a few weeks ago when we looked at verse 21. Peter has just said that Jesus is sharing the Lord, that is Yahweh's throne, and is pouring out the Holy Spirit. Those are only things that God himself is qualified to do. On Saturday, only King Charles will be crowned king. If I somehow rocked up and said, just put the crown on my head and I will sit on the throne, it'll all be fine, 
I would be carted off. We know that. Now, whether you agree with it or not, Charles is the one that has the right to sit on the throne. Only God can sit on God's throne. So when Peter says in verse 36, God has made this Jesus both Lord and Messiah, it is the same as saying, God has made this Jesus both God and King. It is a massive claim, especially about someone that the crowd know had been put to death only a few weeks ago. They had seen it, probably. That's why Peter has gone to so such great lengths to back up his claim. It's like he's trying to superglue these pots back together. He's at pains to point out that the believers are witnesses. Have a look at verse 32. He says that they're eyewitnesses. And the crowd themselves, verse 33, have seen the Holy Spirit at work that very day. And as we've seen, Peter has gone big on um, how the Old Testament means that it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that this has all happened. Jesus is Lord and Messiah, or God and King, whichever you prefer. And the array of overwhelming evidence that Peter presents means that he can say in verse 36, let all Israel be assured of this. Everyone listening to him is to be certain that Jesus is God and King. There can be no doubts. And so that is the big truth of this passage. We can be certain that Jesus is God and King. But what difference does that make to our lives? I said a big claim makes a big difference. Well, let me suggest a few now. And as I do, I just want to flag up next week's uh, passage to us. We're going to be looking at verses 37 to 41. And it's there that we get Peter's sort of big application of what this uh, truth means. He tells people to be, uh, to repent and to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. We're going to basically spend the whole of next week's sermon thinking about uh, what that means. So do come back. This week, I want us to think about that point, about certainty. What does it mean to be certain? Peter says the crowd are to be certain that Jesus is king. It's the same word that Luke, who wrote Acts, uses in his introduction to his gospel back in chapter 1, verse 4 of Luke, when he says he wants people to be certain, assured of the things that they've been taught. The point is clear. We can be certain. That's why Luke has recorded it. That's why Peter has been saying all this stuff in his speech. Now, I think a lot of us do lack that sense of, of assurance, of being certain that, that this is true and that it makes a difference. Now, I don't know if that's uh, because so many of us have grown up in a world uh, where truth seems to be relative and being certain of something is viewed with suspicion. That scepticism has some benefits as entrenched privilege is challenged, and as people who have power are held to account. But with that sort of scepticism, 
we mustn't lose the ability to come to a sort of settled conclusion that something is actually true and that it means something. So, a trivial example. Think back to the information on TfL's website about weekend closures. Now, I've generally found that it's pretty accurate, um, and I've found that enough times that I now trust that that information is right. Now, I'm sure they do get it wrong every now and again, but essentially, I feel assured that it is true, and I act accordingly. So here are the two questions that I want us to think about uh, for the rest of our time together. Do I know that this claim about Jesus, that he is both God and King, do I know that it is true? And then, do I act as if it is actually true? Those are the two questions that we want to think about. So let's think about that first question. Do I know it's true? Now, there are obviously a variety of answers to that. Some of us might say, you know what? I'm not actually certain. I've been coming to church for a while now, but I still have big questions. Or maybe you are a Christian, and it's only sort of niggly little questions that you feel are holding you back. Well, why not come along to the Christianity Explored course, which is starting on Monday, the 15th of May. You can ask any question you like. There are no questions that are too big or too small, too complicated or too simple. You can ask them all. Why not grab a Christian friend and say, you know what, I would like to go to that Christianity Explored course. Will you come with me? I've got some questions, and I just love to spend the time thinking about them. Or maybe you ask them, or one of the ministers here, you might say to them, look, I've just got this particular question that I'd like to think about. It's just bugging me. It's making me feel a little bit uncertain. Can we meet up for coffee or a pint or whatever it is and just chat about it? Now, people who love Jesus love talking about Jesus. And so I think they're pretty unlikely to say, no thanks. Try out asking them about that after the service or at the stag's head or whatever it is. There may not be a simple answer to every question that you might have, but it doesn't mean that we can't ask them. It doesn't mean that we can't explore what the Bible has to say about it. I am convinced that God in his word has something to say about the whole of life. And I am convinced about the certainty of these things that we've been reading about, that Peter has been describing. That's why he emphasizes that they are eyewitnesses of it. Here's a second option. You might think, I am convinced, but I just lack a little bit of confidence to answer those questions and tell people about Jesus. Now, we're not all about courses here. But the Living and Telling course is starting soon as well. That would prepare you to talk more about Jesus in a natural way, just have conversations about him, and answering questions like that. There'll be someone under the uh, Connect Corner to chat about uh, that course and about Christianity Explored. So do go there at the end if that's what you want to do. But perhaps you're like me. And that most of the time, you're pretty certain that these things are true. 
we know the answer to that question. Do I know this claim is true? Well, yes, I know that Jesus is both God and King. He died for my sins. I'm complicit in the crucifixion, as verse 36 says. We celebrated Easter that he rose again. We know he is seated at the right hand of God in heaven, ruling over everything. We even have the Spirit living in us, reminding us of the truth of these things. But it all feels a bit distant a lot of the time. That's the point of the second question. Do I act as if it's true? In other words, what's the point of certainty if I just sort of bumble along, messing up in the same old ways, forgetting about Jesus for a lot of the day, not praying as much as I'd like to, that sort of thing? Because, of course, assurance isn't the same thing as just having all your questions answered. It is holding on to who Jesus is at the end of each day in every moment. It's the truth of Psalm 63, verse 8, where David says to God, I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. I haven't got all the answers or any easy answers, really. But let me tell you about my experience over the last couple of years of knowing for certain who Jesus is, what sort of difference that has made in my life. As many of you know, um, our son Timothy was born in November 2021 uh, with a rare heart condition, hyperplastic left heart syndrome, for those of you who are, are medical. It basically means that the left side of his heart didn't develop in the way that it was meant to, it hadn't formed. He was delivered by C-section, and within about an hour or so, he was in uh, an amazing paediatric intensive care unit. He was first operated on at about, uh, well, at two days old, and he had so many procedures that uh, I lost count. Every time they took him away to operate on, the certainty that Jesus is ruling now helped. Now, it didn't mean that we weren't scared. It didn't mean that we knew he would come back to us safely. It wasn't a feeling. It meant we knew that whatever happened, Jesus knew what was best for Timothy and for us, and that we could trust him. Jesus had been through death and come out the other side and would bring each of us through death to be with him forever, whenever the time was right. That time for Timothy was last September. Thankfully, it was not on an operating table, but in our arms. I would never have been able to say goodbye to him. I would never have been able to tell the nurse that it was time to withdraw that drug that was keeping him alive if I wasn't certain that Jesus is God and King and has defeated death, I needed that certainty. I never thought I would have to put that to the test in that way. 
I've sat in plenty of sermons and I thought, I'm, I'm not sure I could do that sort of thing. But it was God's gift of the Holy Spirit that allowed me to do that. Not some force of my own, not some inner resolve. It was him. The Spirit is an incredible gift. And we will think more about that next week. Here, his purpose is to remind us of who Jesus is. And that's what he did for me. The Spirit reminds us of the objective truth about Jesus that we can know for certain. Now, I pray that you don't have to do the same thing as me. But there will be particular times when you need to rely on the certainty that Jesus is both God and King. It may be a failing marriage or no marriage at all. It might be incredible stress at work or the difficulty finding work at all. It might be caring for elderly parents or it might be losing them. It might be a nightmare housemate or it might be not being able to find people to share a house with. It might be the exams that you're about to start where everyone's telling you that your whole future rests on them. Sadly, the possibilities are seemingly endless. Peter says that Jesus is God and King. He is ruling from God's right hand over absolutely everything, giving his spirit to guide and to comfort, to strengthen his people. The crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, the gift of his spirit. They are all historical facts that mean we can be certain. This week, whatever lies before us, know for certain that Jesus is God and King and that that is the thing that makes the difference.